0: The Hard
1: Shoulder with Kieran Codhy with Nissan on News
0: Talk. As ever, this time of the week, we're joined by our guide to the Galaxy expert, Dr. Coleman Gallagher, Planetary Geomorphologist, the UCD School of Geography, and the UCD Earth Institute. And what we are discussing today is: can rays from the sun pulsars, black holes, self-destructive galaxies and possibly dark matter filaments allow the ages of ancient archaeological, biological and planet-forming materials to be determined. I know this is a question that has been on everyone's lips for some time, (laughs) Coleman. So, can self-destructive galaxies and dark matter filaments allow for the archaeological and planet-forming time frames of materials to be established? The short answer is yes. Brilliant. It's been lovely (laughs) seeing Is that it? That's it. <laughs> Happy Christmas. And to you too, <laughs> to all your listeners. Uh, let's take the di- the difficult leap. How?
1: Right. Well, uh, we'll we'll start with one of the most common dating techniques, which is radiocarbon dating, which is used to date uh, materials that were once alive. So, for example, um, quite a while ago now, uh, the remains of a man were found in the Austrian and Italian Alps. He was given the name Utzi and uh he, he basically was revealed because of a melting glacier
0: Utzi was a fellow who had been stabbed yeah he was murdered here. that's right yeah. and he was he was believed to have been running for his life at the time wasn't he he was uh, up at a very high altitude high altitude yeah absolutely and he was he, he had a quiver of arrows and so on and he had and some medicines as well didn't he he had some rudimentary medicines like um he certainly had herbs mosses and herbs he, that's right lake.
1: yeah and he had copper axe heads as well or copper ingots at least and i think the story was that he was heading north into Europe to do some trading. Maybe he stole them or something because they were very, you know, expensive, important uh, oh, yeah, resources. He was discovered
0: by hikers who thought he was a recent death. That's right. They? they thought he was he, a, yeah. a, a modern murder and then discovered he, otherwise. He
1: looked pretty perfect. I mean, he was he was frozen and uh, was very well preserved. Um, so he, he was dated and in fact he, he carried, as you said, a lot of materials that were once alive as well in his quiver of arrows and in the material that he was clothed in and uh they could be dated using this technique called radiocarbon dating which maybe a lot of people have heard of and how does it work uh, radiocarbon dating is based on the fact that um uh every living thing uh takes into its system uh radioactive carbon it's very very low concentration in comparison to stable carbon about 1 in a trillion atoms is is carbon 14 which is radioactive and we get it through the food chain. So for example, you know, we've got it in our bodies now. As soon as we stop living and stop taking in material from the food chain, uh, we stop taking carbon-14 in and uh, carbon-14 then starts to decay in our bodies or in Utzi's body, for example. Uh, every 5,700 years, there's 50% less carbon-14. So that's called a half-life. And, uh, if you can measure the ratio of carbon-14 to carbon-12, the stable isotope of carbon, you can measure how many half-lives it's gone through. So it's just a matter of of taking that half-life of 5,700 years into account. Uh, so Utzi, for example, he, he happened to die about one half-life of carbon-14 ago. He was about 5,300 years dead when he was found. So uh, his body will have less than about half the amount of carbon-14 And the environment
0: has. doesn't impact on the decay of carbon. doesn't matter if you're at high altitude, low altitude, frozen, warm.
1: Not really. There there are some variables that that uh, that make it vary, um, particularly in the, in the vegetable kingdom. The, for example, uh, trees and other plants take in different amounts of carbon um, because of the pathways of carbon to get into their systems. But they're, they're kind of small uh, tweaks, if you like. So, and is there
0: a maximum that you can go with the available half-lives of carbon? If you yeah. get to forty, fifty thousand 50,000 years, does it become unusable?
1: It does. It, there are so few carbon-14 atoms at that stage. It's gone through so many half-lives, dividing by 50% each time that it's barely measurable at that stage.
0: So for very, very long durations or for non-organic material is that where sun's rays comes in and all of that yeah
1: so for for inorganic materials there there are lots of dating techniques but uh, for uh, but they don't have a relation really to to cosmic or to space radiation the one set that does is called radionuclide dating and that can date uh, for example the erosional surfaces let's say that there was a beach on a coastline and uh, it was a it was a rock based beach with lots of sediments on top of it and a tsunami came along and washed those sediments away, um, exposing the rock. It would be possible to date when the rock was exposed or how long it was exposed for by measuring specific cosmogenic nuclides, which are produced when high-energy particles enter the Earth's atmosphere and uh, change some very common rock-forming minerals like silicon and oxygen and calcium and potassium into quite strange isotopes, you know, completely unexpected isotopes, which have a range of half-lives. And uh, one of them, for example, can bring you back in terms of half-lives. One half-life would be about 1.6 million years. Another one would be about 100,000 years. So they can take you way back. Um, And where
0: have they been used? What kind of things have been dated in that way?
1: Well, for example, the erosion rate of valleys has been dated that way. The the, the, uh, duration that... Boulders have been exposed in valleys, for example, in Ireland after they were, they were kind of let down softly by glacial melting. So that dates the last time glaciers were present in the Wicklow Mountains, for example. So they're very widely used techniques now for exposure dating.
0: So you take a boulder that has one of those, what is they call not, not moraines. What's the term for when they, they get down to the end of the glacier and the glacier eventually abandons? Them? But it carries the rock down the, the valley. Yeah. It then melts. And at the point of melting, it's now exposed to the rays that begin the aging process. Exactly. That
1: That's right. Yeah. And so you can determine when those uh, boulders were first exposed to the sun, how long ago? Or were first exposed to space, I should say. So you can. I date. assume
0: the combination of these, both in in organic terms and in inorganic terms, caused major upheaval in our understanding of the time we had been knocking about, and the planet had been knocking about. A- absolutely, they they
1: really have. I mean, the the radiocarbon really gives us a great insight to uh, kind of archaeological time frames, and maybe even I'm I'm not just talking about archaeological. I'm really talking about paleoanthropological time frames, because for example, you can date remains. Uh, from the Paleolithic, um, going back beyond eight or ten thousand years, you can you can date the skeletons of Neanderthal uh, humans or Neanderthal um, hominids, uh, and you know it really gives us a deep insight to the last forty or fifty thousand years, which is really interesting because a lot of these remains come from Central Europe, uh, which was really cold forty or fifty thousand years ago, as Ireland was. But Ireland was covered in glaciers. In Central Europe, the, there weren't glaciers, but there were people. Uh, hunting mammoths and so on, so there were, you know, human societies there that you can date with with radiocarbon, which is, you know, to me, it's absolutely mind blowing. And it depends on one of these uh, um, uh, cosmic rays coming in and knocking uh, a neutron off a nitrogen atom high in the atmosphere and creating carbon fourteen from the the nitrogen, which
0: is, you know, it's it's just incredible. I think. Did you know that a modern set of scientists made mammoth soup? I didn't. Oh, from frozen mammoths in Siberia or Correct. something. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. One up and when they were done with that, they were like, "Well, now what do we do with the bits?" So they, they said it was not good. You I can imagine. Cosmic rays are there. What exactly is a cosmic ray? Okay, it, first of all, it's a bad term um, because most of them
1: aren't rays. So generally, a ray is taken to be um, electromagnetic radiation, so light. Or gamma rays or X rays that you might have in a hospital—they're they're kind of proper radiation made of things called photons. So made of massless particles that, that in a vacuum they all travel at the speed of light. They're all—they're the same thing, but with different energies. So, for example, visible light has got lower energy than X rays and gamma rays. Um, cosmic rays, though, generally are particles, and most of them are protons. So they're sometimes called hydrogen nuclei. So a, a hydrogen atom has got one proton and one electron. And uh, so essentially, we're looking at hydrogen atoms that have been stripped of their electron, electron right. and it leaves behind a, a proton. So there are lots of protons knocking about the, the cosmos. And they, in fact, can be accelerated to huge energies and huge velocities. And um, they pack a punch when that happens. Um, and they're accelerated in different, they're called astrophysical accelerators. Um, so, for example, the sun is one of those, and uh, that produces a thing called the solar wind. And uh, we're, we're bathed in the solar wind uh, right out you know, beyond uh, Pluto. In fact, be, be, uh, around about where the Voyager spacecraft uh, reached in the last few years. Um, and uh, they really pack a punch. They are the things that cause the aurora borealis and the aurora australis. As they interact with the atmosphere? As they interact with our magnetic field, in fact, so far out in space. So when people see the aurorae, actually, they're not seeing the low atmosphere. They're seeing the really high atmosphere. It's as good as space, really, um, where there are very few uh, oxygen and nitrogen atoms, which are the things that are causing the kind of colorful displays. Um, so they come from the sun, and uh, the, the the Earth's magnetic field kind of funnels them to the poles. Uh, which is a good thing because if if there was no magnetic field, for example, as there is as there isn't on Mars, uh, the the flux of of cosmic, uh, I should say, of solar radiation of solar protons would be incredibly dangerous. I mean, th- this is one thing that that Elon Musk doesn't talk about, for example, in his plans to colonize
0: Mars. There's not much Elon Musk doesn't talk about. No, like maybe
1: that. maybe <laughs> uh, uh, I don't want to say because his, his, his heavies might be listening in, but. Uh, People walking around on the surface of Mars would be fried by these things in in pretty short time, and for example, even astronauts on the iss the ISS has to be shielded uh, from these things, and worse still, uh, astronauts going to the moon have to be shielded so for example the the Artemis uh, capsule that recently went around the moon. It had a, an instrumented mannequin in it that kind of took the place it's of interesting a,
0: this yeah with, with radio with radiation detectors a, all over
1: absolutely and a radiation vest that was being tried out for the for the live astronauts that will go because there is absolutely no shielding uh, up up there
0: Am I right in saying then that there are various different forms of cosmic rays as in very high energy ones ultra high energy ones yeah. there, there is a spectrum of there is. This misnomer, cosmic ray.
1: That's right. There is, and and in fact, one of the the cosmic rays is, is a real ray. It, it's gamma radiation, um, but the, the the particle ones, as you say, they range from. And the difference is just the energies. Just the the energy that they pack
0: and what value can they be to us is it like radiocarbon dating is it like the kind of um dating that you described with the the interaction with the um rays themselves is there anything that the ultra high and very high um uh, velocity rays can, we can use them for well because
1: they're particles uh they are samples of the thing they've come from they are they are real physical samples for example of the sun you know when when uh, a proton from the sun enters our atmosphere and uh knocks some material off other atoms in our atmosphere, we're basically sampling the effects of the sun's atmosphere. When we find ultra high particles and they're detected in the atmosphere, we're 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 looking or I should say the, the astrophysicists are looking at samples from incredible distances, some of them from our own galaxy, but some of them from galaxies that are hundreds of millions of light years away. In in fact the the highest energy uh cosmic ray Um, called the oh my god particle it it, it, (laughs) which is it's a good name actually when you when you hear why Uh, it came in with a uh, with a value with an energy value that was the equivalent this is in a proton that packed the energy of a baseball or a schlitter um, being hit at 44 metres per second. So, for example, about 100 kilometres
0: per hour. And this is in a proton. Well, at least when we all get fried on Mars, (laughs) thanks to Elon (laughs) Musk, it'll be at the hands of something with a name like the Oh My God particle. That's right. (laughs) Coleman, thank you so much. That is Dr. Coleman Gallagher, who is a planetary geomorphologist at the UCD School of Geography and the UCD Earth Institute. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Coddy. With Nissan. Weekdays from 4 on
1: news talk